Good morning. Let me start off by asking you a question. Maybe you read the bulletin or you saw the announcement that we're going to be studying the greatest motivation this morning. What I, what I want to do is ask you what your motivation is. Why are you here this morning? What are you doing here? Why did you wake up on Sunday morning and decide to come to the 8 o'clock service at 1940 Mount Juliet Road? What are you doing here? What I'm wanting to know is what is our motivation for gathering together this morning? I heard a joke about a patient at a mental hospital and every day he kept asking, why am I here? Why am I here? Breakfast, why am I here? When he went to go get his medicine, why am I here? Lunch, why am I here? When they were doing activities, he kept asking the nurse and the attendants, why am I here? And then he started asking, why are you here? And so he kept asking this question over and over again. And then finally his roommate got tired of it and says, you're here because you're not all there. Um, so hopefully this morning our motivation is a little bit more deeper than that. Well, good morning. I hope everybody's had a good week. Um, if it's been a good week, what a perfect way um, to celebrate this morning with your brothers and sisters in Christ. If it's not been such a good week, what a great day to come together um, and, and regroup this morning with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, if you're a guest or a visitor, I'm, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm Jody Marble. Um, unfortunately, you missed David, so you'll just have to come back next week so you can hear the real deal um, from the pulpit. But hopefully you're not too bummed out that I'm up here rather than um, David. But if you are, then once again, you'll just have to come back again and see us. Um, however, I am very thrilled to be up here speaking from you from the Word of God this morning. And hopefully by the end of the lesson, um, you won't be too bummed out. <laughs> I love to preach, but I don't claim to be the greatest preacher in the world. I don't think you can really arrive at being a great preacher at the age of 22 years old. I think it's something that takes a lot of work and takes a lot of effort and takes probably a lot of years to um, arrive at being a preacher, um, a lot like um, some of the ones that we get to hear on a regular basis here. Um, However, I do claim one thing. I do claim to preach from the Word of God. And I do know and I do believe that whenever the Word of God is opened up and we allow it to work in our lives, that it has the power to change our lives. And I believe that with all of our heart. And that is one thing that I claim to do is preach from the Word of God. This morning we are going to talk about motivations. We all have motivations. And all of us are motivated in different ways and by different things. Some people do well in their jobs because they are motivated by the feeling of accomplishment when they accomplish a task. Some people are motivated by succeeding in their jobs because they're motivated by money and they want to climb that, that wealth status chain. Some people are motivated by, um, well, last week David talked about how young men are sometimes motivated by young women and certainly that is a motivation in many people's lives. There are so many different motivations out there. But this morning I want to talk about three motivations. And I think that these three motivations can sum up just about all motivations. Every single motivation that you've ever had, I believe, can fit into the three categories of motivations that we're going to talk about this morning. The first motivation is something that we're all familiar with, but we're not really that fond of it. We don't care for this type of motivation. I have a nephew named Augustus Quincy Cruz. I know that's a mouthful. I don't know what my sister was thinking. Um, if you have ever seen the movie uh, Lonesome Dove, uh, that's where Augustus came from. His dad is a very, very big Western fan. So they named him Augustus, and Quincy was a family name. 
Um, but we call him Gus for short. And if you've seen um, the movie Cinderella, um, the mouse is named Gus Gus. And so, of course, everybody calls him Gus Gus, which his dad does not like very much. Um, but nonetheless, that's what we call him, Gus Gus. Um, Gus is three years old now, but probably when Gus was about 16 months, when he was walking pretty good, um, but he was still using, um, you know, the edge of the couch to walk around on. Um, he was a very adventurous little boy. And now I know all boys are adventurous, and I know all boys when they're young, or maybe babies in general, are very curious. But I think there's definitely something a little bit more adventurous um, about Gus Gus. Maybe it was because he had six uncles um, that probably pushed him to do more things than he probably should have done. But there was definitely something about Gus Gus that just kept him going. He had so much energy, just constantly moving. He was constantly getting into something. He was constantly getting dirty and messing something up. We have a gas log, um, a propane fireplace in my parents' living room at home. And uh, Mallory, my sister, who's Gus's mom, um, they spent a lot of time at our house, especially when I was home for breaks and stuff during college. And, of course, in the winter, we'd have the propane fireplace on. And Gus, being a young child, would see the blue and yellow and red lights. And, of course, you know, he just had to know what that was all about. And so he would creep closer, and he would creep closer, and he'd kind of look at us like this. And, of course, we'd say, no, no, Gus, Gus, you know, don't get away from, get away from the fireplace. Um, but him being a 16-year-old boy, he didn't understand what we were talking about. And he just thought, you know, we, were, we just didn't want him to be in on all the exciting hot propane fireplace stuff. Um, but one day, um, Gus was playing around in the front room, and we were all talking, or maybe we were kind of in the kitchen, um, dining room area, and Gus was wandering around by himself. And um, he was getting closer to that fireplace, and nobody, nobody saw him, and nobody said anything. And I can just see him, you know, crawling a little bit closer and looking back and getting a little bit closer and looking back. And nobody told him no. And so, of course, you know, he gets his one chance. And so he reaches up to touch that gas propane fireplace. And he touches just the little, the metal curtain on the outside. And, and we definitely found out when he touched that fire, propane fireplace because he let out, let out a scream that we heard. I think the neighbors heard it too. Um, Gus Gus learned his lesson. He was motivated by fear not to touch the propane fireplace any longer. And fear is our first motivation. Fear is something that we learned very early on. Gus Gus learned it at the age of 16 months, maybe even sooner. Um, it motivates us in many ways, fear does. It motivates Gus to stay away from the fireplace. For many of us, it motivated us in the form of swats, spankings, or whoopings, whatever you want to call them. Um, now, I know things have changed, and that's okay, and I know every family and every kid is different. Um, but when I was growing up, we got swats, and we got a lot of them. I got a lot of them. I don't know if I can speak for everybody else, but I definitely got a lot of them. Um, my mom was a school teacher, and uh, she's taught school for 20-something years, and... Uh, Back when I was in elementary school, which wasn't too terribly long ago, but things have changed a lot since then, every teacher was handed out a paddle, a wooden paddle about this big. And she got one every single year. Well, my mom thought that it would be a good idea that she would just bring her paddle home every single day. And so uh, I guess she just wanted to make sure she was the most effective teacher and uh, most effective um, paddler, I guess. I don't know how you say that. Um, but she decided that it would be best that she brought her paddle home. And she definitely didn't not use it. Um, with six boys, she definitely um, used her paddle a lot. 
Anyways, the reason that spankings worked for children and for myself was because we were afraid of getting that punishment. We were afraid of getting that paddling or that swat. And that's what fear is supposed to do. It's supposed to motivate us in that way. Fear can certainly be a good motivation in our life, and especially in our spiritual life. Jesus certainly used fear as a motivator. That's why he speaks of hell so often, and other writers speak of hell so often throughout the Bible. Just think about these verses. 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4, it says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down into hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. So we see Peter writing here about hell and how there's this darkness that confines us somehow. I'm not even sure how to completely um, grasp the idea of, of chains of darkness, but I just can't, you know, I guess I got this mental picture of this darkness that keeps us from moving forward or this darkness that keeps us chained down in one place. Certainly, Peter wasn't writing um, to do anything except for to motivate his readers through fear. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, Paul says that these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So we see Paul writing here and using the fear, um, using the motivation of fear. And then in Mark, Mark writes in chapter 9, verse 43, he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than, rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched. And then in verse 44 it says, Where the worm does not die and the fire does not quench. Is not quenched. Certainly these writers were using fear as a motivate, motivation to um, spark an action in these people's lives, to spark an action in our lives. And then in Matthew chapter 13, verse 42, we have another example. Matthew chapter 13, verse 42. It says, um, and so let's start in verse 41. It says, The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. So we see that these, these New Testament writers, we, we see this idea of dark chains of darkness and we see gnashing of teeth and we see a place where the Lord's presence is. And now I think about the, uh, the, the scripture in Revelations where it talks about there will be lakes of fire. Certainly these passages were meant to motivate us by fear. And I hope that they do motivate us. Hell is a very serious and a very real place and we should all fear. It wouldn't be healthy for us not to. I know when I became a Christian, one of the, one of the things that, that sparked, sparked me to thinking about becoming a Christian was I didn't want to live in eternity in hell. Now certainly that can't be our main motivation, but fear needs to be something that comes along with being a Christian. I didn't want to suffer in pain and agony and darkness for eternity. I didn't want to, I didn't want to have to face fear and punishment for the rest of eternity. And so that motivated me to think more seriously about my spiritual condition. I think back to the idea of spankings. Why do you quit getting swats? Why do you, why do you parents, why do you quit um, giving your kids paddlings when they get older? Some of you are probably thinking, oh, I'm never going to quit. Um, but I'm, I I'm hope you do. Um, but the reason that, that spankings and swats, the reason that we don't continue to do them is because um, they become no longer effective. When your child gets mature, when I got older and, and so much more wiser 
and mature. Um, maybe that second one was a stretch. I didn't need squats. I didn't need paddlings because I had advanced past that. Fear is definitely a good motivation, but it's, it's an elementary motivation. It's, it's something that is for um, immature children or maybe immature Christians. We should be motivated by fear. But fear shouldn't be our main motivation in life. God did not create us to live in fear throughout our entire life. And God certainly doesn't want us to be children of his, certainly doesn't want us to be members of the church because we are afraid of him. Just like parents don't want their children to be afraid of them, just like parents don't want their child to fear them, God is the same way. He wants a relationship. He wants it to be founded on something so much more deeper than fear. Fear can be a good motivator, but it can't be our only motivation. And that brings us to our second motivation. The next motivation is something that we're a little bit more fond of, actually a lot, a lot more fond of than fear. It's a motivation that's a little bit more deeper and a little bit more mature than fear. The second motivation is reward. One of my friends told me a story about when he was um, 15 years old. He says when he was 15 years old, just like any 15-year-old boy, he was ready for his 16th birthday because he was going to get his license and he was going to get that brand new set of wheels or that set of wheels, probably not brand new. Um, but his parents realized this and they saw that on the back of his phone, the screensaver was a vehicle and they saw that the posters that he was buying were vehicles and they noticed that everything that he was looking up had to do with vehicles. And it, whether it was the truck or the sports car or the Jeep, he wanted uh, a vehicle to drive when he was 16. So his parents recognized this and they thought, well, this is a good opportunity um, for us to make a deal. And so they approached their 15-year-old boy and they said, we know that you want a vehicle when you turn 16, so how about we make you do it? How about if you continue to get all A's and continue to be an active member in the church and an active member in the youth group, and if you continue to do all your chores and maybe even go a step above and beyond your chores, um, you'll have a brand new set of wheels waiting for you in the garage on your 16th birthday. So of course this 15-year-old boy was super excited, and he did everything in his power to do what his parents asked. There wasn't a... A blade of grass out of place in the yard. There wasn't a leaf to be found. There wasn't a twig to be found in the yard. He had straight A's. He did everything his parents asked for him and went and be above and beyond what they asked. And so his 16th birthday party rolled around and he's so excited and he just knows. And his parents continued to instill in him that he'd, he'd done a good job and that he'd be rewarded come his 16th birthday. So when it finally came, he was excited and his birthday dinner rolled around and, and he'd waited all day patiently. And so they blew out the candles and they said, well, are you ready to see your surprise? And of course, you know, he's trying to play it cool, but he's about running to the garage door. And so he gets to the garage door and he opens that door and he looks out there sitting in, a, with, sitting in the garage is a blacked out six-speed huffy bicycle. Well, that's not exactly the kind of wheels that he was expecting to get. But that's the problem with reward. As humans, we are constantly wanting more. We are never satisfied with what we have or what we think we want. We always want more. And that's the problem with reward. Do you know people like this? Do you know people that are only motivated by reward? I know I do. I know I do. There are so many people who are living the Christian life simply because they want the reward of heaven. Now, don't get me wrong. Heaven is definitely something that we should be looking forward to, and it's definitely something that should motivate us. But reward, the reward of heaven cannot be the only reason that we are Christians. Heaven certainly is a good motivation, and reward is certainly a good motivation. Just think about the way that the Bible describes heaven, a place where the gates are pearl, the street is gold, a place where our Father shines continuously. 
One of my favorite things to think about heaven and our reward of heaven is that when we get to heaven, we won't have to say goodbye to our family members. We won't have to say goodbye to those people who we love so much that either move away from us or, or pass from this life. There will be no more goodbyes in heaven. Certainly, that's a place that we should be looking forward to. And certainly, that is a, that is a reward that should motivate us to change our behavior. But that can't be the only motivation in our life. I can't wait for heaven, and it's a huge motivation in my life, and probably yours too. But heaven cannot be the only reason that we are Christians. There are too many people who are living the Christian life that are only doing, or that are not doing bad things because they're afraid of hell, and they're only doing good things because they want the reward of heaven. God uses fear and reward as a motivation, but he never intended for that to be our only motivation. God intended our main motivation to be something much more deeper than fear, something much more deeper than reward. And that brings us to our third reward, to our third motivation. When I was younger and my mom and dad asked me to do something, I did it because if I didn't, I would get swats or I'd get whoopings or I'd get punished somehow. But as I got older, I grew out of that motivation. I grew out of the motivation of fear. I no longer was motivated by swats. I was no longer motivated um, by fear. And so my parents had to change their tactics. They, they decided that they would approach it in a different way, much like many of you have done. So they decided to offer a reward instead. Instead of swats, they offered if I did something um, that I would get a, a prize for. You know, if I mowed the lawn, they'd say, well, if you mow the lawn, you know, you want to go to the movies this Friday, we'll, we'll pay for your ticket if you mow the lawn this week. Um, or maybe if I mowed the lawn for the entire summer, I'd get that new ball glove or whatever it was. Um, they, they used... Um, reward as a motivation to get me to do the things that they wanted. But eventually, um, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely still up for getting a reward for doing things, but eventually they no longer needed to do that. They no longer needed to give me spankings. They no longer needed to give me a reward for doing what they asked. Eventually, as I got older and a little bit more mature, um, I didn't need them to tell me that they'd give me money or a toy or or need them to tell me that if I don't do it, I'm going to get swats. As I got older, um, when my parents asked me to do something or when my parents needed something done, I did it because I loved them. And I did it because I wanted them to be proud of me and because I was proud of, of them as my parents. The motivation I had as I got older was, was, was love. And that is our third and final motivation. As a Christian, love is what it's all about. Our motivation for being a Christian sh should be love. Hopefully you're here this morning because you love the Lord your God and because you love his church. I ask you the question, why are you here this morning? What are you doing here? Some of us maybe are here because our parents drug us here. Maybe some of us are here because that's just a decision we made a long time ago that we were going to come to church, and I'm thankful for that decision. Maybe some of us are here because we're trying to keep peace with the family, and we know that if we don't come, that it's going to cause chaos at our home life. Maybe some of us are here because you're broken and you're hurt. And you think, maybe the church is what I need. And let me tell you that the church is what you need. Maybe you're here this morning because you're not sure who Jesus is. Or maybe you know who Jesus is, but you want to know a little bit more about him. If that's the reason you're here, I'm so glad that you're here. I hope and I, and I, I do believe that you'll see that. The reason that we're here this morning needs to be out of love. Our mo main motivation for worshiping the Lord should be love. Our main motivation as a Christian 
should stem from love because love is what it's all about. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40, we see that the Pharisees asked Jesus, what is the greatest thing? And in the backstory behind this is they've been following Jesus around. They've been trying to, to find a way to catch him, trying to find a way to get him to slip up. And so they think they found the opportune moment, and they say, Jesus, what is the most important thing? Thinking that he might say this commandment, or this, he might say that commandment. And they're thinking, okay, if he says this, then we're going to tag him and with why he didn't say this. But Jesus, when they asked Jesus what the most important thing is, he didn't hesitate. He didn't even think for one second because he knows what the most important thing is. He says the most important thing is love, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' main motivation was love. A couple weeks ago, I spoke for just a minute on 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, where Paul tells us that the goal of our instruction is love. The whole purpose of our being from what Paul says, is to love. That's why Paul tells us that the greatest thing is love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13, we studied this several weeks ago. It says, But now faith, hope, love, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these, th these three is love. Our motivation first and foremost needs to be love. God's motivation was love. What does John chapter 3, verse 16 say? For God what? For God so loved the world. God sent Jesus, his son, one and only, to the earth because his motivation was love. This morning, if love isn't our motivation, then something needs a change. Paul says that any good deed or action or thought done without love is pointless. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we studied the importance of love. Love cannot be absent from the church. Love cannot be absent from a Christian. Because if love is absent from the church, then it's not the church. If love is absent from a Christian, then that person is not a Christian. Let me ask you a question that I had to ask myself a long time ago. I had to ask myself, Jody, why are you a Christian? And then I had to ask myself, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why do I not do the things that we're told not to growing up? Why do I do the things that we're told to? And specifically, I had to reevaluate the way I was evangelizing. And I had to ask myself, why am I studying with these people? And why do I feel compelled to tell these, these people about the Bible? And if I was honest with myself, I did it because I felt like I had a duty or obligation or maybe a better word for it was burden to tell these people. I felt like because I was a Christian that I needed to tell these people that they were living their life wrong. And certainly that is a part of what we were supposed to do. We were supposed to exploit sin as ministers and as Christians. But my main motivation wasn't to share Jesus. My main motivation wasn't to show the people that I was confronting. My main motivation wasn't to show them the love of Christ and the love of the church and the love that can be found when you're a part of the family of God. My main motivation was to do what I felt like I had to do, not what I wanted to do or not because I loved them and wanted to see the best for them. I think far too often as Christians, we are approaching people who are broken and we are approaching people who are hurt and we come at them with these commands and all these rules and we tell them, these hurt people, we tell them that you're broken and you're hurt. And then we give them this standard, which we ourselves can't even live by. We give them the standard that they have to live by. And then when they don't fulfill it, and then when they can't compete, complete it, which obviously they can't because nobody is perfect, then they feel even more broken. The problem with that is not that 
we're showing them their faults. Certainly, we all need to realize that we are broken. Certainly, we all need to realize that they're a sin of our life. But our main motivation shouldn't be to tell the broken that they're broken. Our main motivation shouldn't be to tell people out of a burden that we feel when we, when we become a Christian. Our main motivation when we are studying with people, our main motivation when we are trying to, to evangelize and share Jesus, our main motivation should be that, to share Jesus. And what did Jesus share when he came to this earth? Why did he come to this earth? He came to this earth because he loved us. And he came to this earth to relieve burdens. If the gospel that we are preaching is burdening other people, then it's not the same gospel that Jesus preached. Because the gospel that Jesus preached lifted the burdens of those who were broken and lifted the burdens of those who were sinners. We are all sinners, and I hope that when we became Christians, a burden was lifted off of our back. And the reason, if, if that was the case, the reason that happened was because someone showed you love. And they showed you what being a Christian was all about. And they showed you that being a part of the family of God wasn't necessarily about rules and wasn't necessarily about commandments and wasn't necessarily about not even doing the bad things. Certainly those are part of it. But the reason that the church is in existence, the reason that Jesus and the reason that God exists, it says that God is love. And that is our goal. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. The goal of our instruction, the reason that we have been called to share the good news is because God loved us and he wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves and to show people the love that can be found within the church. We need to make sure that love is not absent from our lives. And we need to make sure that love is not absent from the, the gospel that we are sharing. We need to make sure that love is not absent from the church. Because I don't know what the church would be without love. I don't know what a Christian would be made of if they weren't made out of love. Far too often we are reaching, those, reaching out to those who are broken and hurt and we are making them feel more broken and hurt and we are putting more burdens on them. That's not the way that it was intended to be. We don't need to be preaching a gospel of burdens, but we need to be a preaching gospel that lifts burdens. We need to be preaching a gospel of peace, joy, mercy, and love. And you might say, well, if, if we preach that, then they're not going to change. Well, that's not the case because if we are preaching love, then it's going to make them, they're going to feel obligated to change because of their love for God. We can motivate people by fear. We can motivate people by reward. If, but if we don't motivate them with love, then that's not, they're not going to be the type of Christian that God desires. If we're motivating by fear, we might get them to the building. We might get them to even come to church regularly. But are we going to establish true, mature Christians if we are only using fear to motivate, our, and to motivate those who are reaching out to? And even with reward, if we are only telling people, well, if you come to church, well, life will turn around. Well, what if it doesn't? Now, certainly, their life will turn around in ways, but that doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen to them. If we only motivate those who are reaching out to with reward and not with love, then whenever something bad happens, they're going to feel like they've done something wrong and they might leave the church altogether. However, if the message that we're preaching is love and if we truly instill to them what the love of God is, then they're going to be able to face those hard times. They're going to be able to overcome their fears. They're going to be so much more mature and so much more capable of handling the, the problems that life has to throw our ways. We need to make sure 
that our message is not void of love. We need to make sure that our lives are not void of love. And we certainly need to make sure that our church is not void of love. Fear is a great motivator. It motivates children to behave. And for the Christian, it motivates many people, myself included, to change or at least to think about changing their behavior. Because the punishment of because of the punishment and fear of hell is something that we should seriously take in consideration. Reward is also a great motivation. And I think it's much more greater than fear. It motivates us to do many things. But even reward isn't everything that our motivation should be hung on. Love is the perfect motivation. Love is the perfect motivation. And it is our motivation as Christian. It is our motivation as the church. It is our motivation here at the Mount Juliet Church of Christ. And if you and I promise if, if you give us a chance, we will show you that's what our motivation is. This morning, if you're a Christian and love isn't the reason you're here, then we need to make a change. We all need to make a change. Our greatest command is to love. And we cannot fail any command, but we cannot certainly fail the first command and the number one command that Jesus has given us. This morning, if you're not a Christian, I hope that the fear of hell motivates you to start thinking about becoming one. And I hope that the reward of heaven is an incentive to start your journey on becoming a Christian. Hell is a very serious place, and a very real place, and it's a very scary place. But on the other hand, heaven is a wonderful place, but it is also a very real place. And it's a place where there will be no more goodbyes, it's a place where there will be light, and there's a place where God will wipe away all of our tears. The man who created, the, the God who created the world, the one who has saved us, the one who has given us and everything, he's going to wipe away my tears. And he's going to wipe away your tears. Certainly that should motivate us. I hope it motivates us. I hope that you're motivated by fear. I hope that we're all motivated by fear and reward. But if that's our only motivation, then we need to continue to grow. And we need to make sure that we become mature Christians who are motivated by love. This morning, if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, if you're thinking about putting on Jesus Christ in baptism, I hope that your main motivation is love because that's what God has called us to do. This morning, if you need the blessing from the church or if you want to put on Christ in baptism, I beg of you to wait no longer and I beg of you to come forward now.